Please open your Bibles to John chapter 1. John chapter 1. Uh, last week, the first five verses of John uh, were introduced, and we were introduced to the Word. The Word. John wrote in those first five verses, In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. He was in the beginning with God, and all things were made through Him, and without Him was not anything made that was made. In Him was life, and the life was the light of men. And the light shines in the darkness, and the darkness has not overcome it. John introduces us to the word, logos in the Greek, logos in the Greek. And um, as I mentioned last week, the Jews and the non-Jews would have both had this understanding of what the word means. Uh, for, the, for the Jew, the word would have been that expression from God, that personal expression from God, the word that created the universe, the word that came through the prophets, the word that brought salvation. So this would have been something very familiar to a Jew reading their Old Testament growing up in that uh, environment. But for the non-Jew, the, the, the term logos, the term uh, word, was very common to those who were Greek. It was in their philosophy everywhere, and, they, and logos is a Greek word. And the idea of the logos, again, was some kind of impersonal force that ordered the universe. The Greeks, being a thinking people, looked up at the universe, and they realized that it was absolutely in order. There was an order to things. However, they did not necessarily always um, attribute that creation to a person, that there was some kind of divine order that kept everything in being. And that would have been that supernatural force, the logos, to them. And so John is taking the idea of the word, and he's throwing, in the beginning was the word. He, he throws this concept of the word so both his audiences would kind of uh, funnel their thoughts to the supernatural, and then John begins to shape what in the world the true word is. And so the true word is the eternal God in human form, the Son of God, the Logos, the God-man, Jesus Christ. And so for a quick review for those first five verses, we saw seven things concerning the word last week, and if you didn't write them down or I mixed them up, which is probably what happened... Um, the first is the word pre-existed creation of the universe, the word pre-existed. And secondly, the word coexisted with God in that pre-existence. In other words, the word existed before the, the creation of the world. And secondly, he coexisted with God. The word was with God. Thirdly, the word was God, or literally in the Greek, God was the word. And so we begin to glimpse into uh, the fact that God was with God in the beginning, you're going, well, the Word is distinct from God the Father, and so there's two members of the Trinity there, and we know the third is the Holy Spirit. Fourthly, creation was created through the Word. Nothing was made without Him. Fifthly, life is in the Word. Six, the Word is the light of mankind. Light means life. He's using an analogy here. Life and light. Men are in darkness. They don't have spiritual life. They're in spiritual darkness, and so he, they need the light of God, the life of God. And so the Word is the light of mankind that shines upon men. And lastly, the Word prevails. His life overcomes the darkness of the fallen world. The world, in its darkness, tried to consume Jesus Christ, but it could not. He rose again. He prevailed. And by the way, He will prevail. Amen? So 
In those first five verses, John introduces us to the word, Jesus Christ, in whom is life, who became a man to give that life to whomever would believe. And so John gives us that imagery of the word being a light to mankind. And starting in verse 6, where we pick up today, John now shifts gears and tells us about the witness concerning that light. So God sent a witness ahead of the light. And this is where John is going. He's building his case here. Verse 6 and 7 says, There was a man sent from God whose name was John, and he came as a witness to bear witness about the light that all might believe through him. So John says there was a man sent from God whose name was John. John the name John actually means God is gracious. We were, uh, Christine and I, when we were um, going to name John back there in the sound booth, this, his name, it, it comes out of us reading about John in, in the Gospels, about John the Baptist, um, because God was so gracious to us to give us a son, especially me being a horrible sinner that God would give me a son. God is so gracious, and that's what, that's what his name is, means. But this is the name of the person uh, who is going to be the forerunner before Jesus Christ. And I love that grace go, is, goes before the light. And I love that, how uh, John, his name is kind of, it's subtle here. Now, real quickly, John the Apostle, who's writing the gospel, is not is not John the Baptist that he's talking about. Two different people. There was a man sent from God named John. John's writing about another John. It's like the whole Mary scenario in the, in, the, in the Bible. It's like, which Mary are we talking about? I don't know, but we do know. So most, I'll say John the Apostle. You'll hear me go back and forth, but I'll clarify who I'm talking about. But basically, um, there's a couple things to note about John. First of all, and if you're taking notes, there's a couple things to note about John. First, he was sent from God. It's very important. John the Baptist was a forerunner. He was sent from God. John's life and ministry was planned out before he even came into existence. Isn't that crazy to think? That God has the ability to plan someone's life and, and what their whole being is supposed to be um, before they come into existence, I find it interesting is Cyrus in the Old Testament. If you guys read about Cyrus, Cyrus was a king, and, and he starts reading about the prophets, and then all of a sudden he finds his name. And it describes exactly who he is, what he's doing, and what he should do. And Cyrus freaks out because it was written 300 years before he came into being. And so God knows what's going on. He has the ability to be outside of time, and he can see the beginning from the end. He's eternal. And so John's life and ministry were planned out way before John was on the scene. Matthew's gospel in chapter 3 uh, tells us regarding John the Baptist, this is Jesus speaking. It says, this is he who, spoke, who was spoken of through the prophet Isaiah, who says, a voice of one calling in the wilderness, prepare the way for the Lord, make straight a path for, it, for him. And so Jesus is quoting Isaiah and Isaiah was 700 years before John the Baptist came on the scene. Isaiah, now, now think about in our history, American history, 700 years before, where are we right, like, where as a nation? I don't, yeah, it's a long time ago, right? 700 years was prophesied, uh, John the Baptist was prophesied about here as a, by Isaiah, a voice of one calling in the wilderness, prepare the way of the Lord, make the path straight. And that was his ministry. Moving a little closer to the birth of, of John, at the close of, uh, close of the Old Testament, Malachi, around 400 years 
before, it's the last book of the Old Testament, 400 years before Christ, Malachi prophesies about the forerunner to the Messiah in Malachi chapter 3, verse 1, where Malachi says, I will send my messenger who will prepare the way before me. And that's basically how the Old Testament closes, waiting for this person who is going to appear before the Messiah appears. And other verses say that it's one like Elijah, and we won't get into that today, we'll get into it later. And in the time and ministry of Jesus, as we're kind of there at, at John's life, uh, right before uh, John's life, uh, if you remember in Luke chapter 1, uh, Zechariah, John's the Baptist's father, he's, he's ministering in the temple, and this is how he finds out that he's going to have a son. He's praying, he's actually ministering in the temple, but while he's in there, supposed to be praying for all the people, Right? He's supposed to be ministering on behalf of the people. He's like, okay, Lord, I'm going to get one in here. <laughs> and he prays. He's like, we're old and we don't have any kids. Lord, give us a kid. And it's interesting. That was God's will that he would pray that. And so in Luke chapter 1, verses 13 through 17, Gabriel, in our, an angel of the Lord, appears to um, Zechariah. Uh, Zechariah is totally afraid. So the angel obviously says, do not be afraid in verse 13, Zechariah, for your prayers have been heard and your wife Elizabeth will bear you a son and you shall call his name John. God is gracious. And you have joy and gladness and many will rejoice at his birth for he will be great before the Lord. But he must not drink, uh, drink uh, wine or strong drink and he will be filled with the Holy Spirit even from his mother's womb and he will turn many of the children of Israel to the Lord their God. And he will be go before him in the spirit and power of Elijah to turn the hearts of the fathers to the children and the disobedient to the wisdom of the just and to make ready for the Lord a people prepared. John the Baptist's ministry was to go before the, the Lord and begin to preach repentance that the hearts of the people who were supposedly God's people would be awakened and aware. The Messiah is coming. Get ready for him. And that was his ministry. And so God spoke through the prophets. He spoke through Gabriel. He spoke through Jesus, all concerning the life and the ministry of John the Baptist, that he was sent to bear witness of the Messiah. And that's the second thing about John. Uh, first, he was sent by God. But secondly, uh, he was sent to bear witness of the light. The word witness means to testify. That's what it means, like in a court. And John came to give um, facts about the word, not his opinion. That's what John was doing. He wasn't saying, hey, I think Jesus is kind of cool because Jesus is like, you know. No, he was saying, this is who the Lord is. And this is, these are the facts about him concerning the Lord. And, and so he's testifying as if in front of the court. And you know that if you are testifying in front of a court, you are under oath to tell the truth, the whole not the truth, and nothing else, right? And so he was giving them the word, that the fact that the word is the Son of God, God in the flesh. And we get a taste of what his testimony consisted of later in this chapter, like in verse 26. We'll get there. But it says, I, I, I baptize with water, John, John the Baptist says, but among you stands one you do not know. Even he who comes after me, the strap of whose sandals I'm not worthy to untie. And so he testifies. There's one coming. Man, he is above all of us. I am a prophet. Well, he's not a prophet, but he, he says he's not a prophet. But 
He says, look at me in my ministry. He says, I'm not even able to untie his sandals. That is how awesome he is. He testifies of his greatness. Or verse 29 through 34, if you have your Bibles, in John chapter 1. The next day, he saw Jesus coming towards him, and he said, Behold, the Lamb of God who takes away the sins of the world. This is he whom I said, After me comes a man who ranks before me, because he was before me. In other words, he's eternal. Verse 31, I myself did not know him, even though he's his cousin, but for this purpose I came baptizing with water that he might be revealed to Israel. And John bore witness, and his witness of that baptism. And I saw the Spirit descending from heaven like a dove, and it remained on him. And I myself did not know him, but he who sent me to baptize with water said to me, he on whom you see the Spirit descend and remain, this is he who baptizes with the Holy Spirit. In verse 34, and I have seen and borne witness that this is the Son of God. John is testifying before the world that this is the Son of God coming into the world. And his words were terrifying, excuse me, terrifying to the world. People repenting left and right, tax collectors and sinners and prostitutes and all types of people just caught up in all kinds of stuff, which represents all of us. They heard the light started to shine on their hearts, and they said, what must we do to be saved? There was a terror that came into their heart when they saw the light of God revealed through this man into their hearts, and they were getting to be prepared for the Lord. They were turning in repentance to the Lord Jesus who would come not in baptizing them with water, but with the Holy Spirit. And so John is testifying that Jesus is the Son of God, but why? Why is he testifying? Why did God preordain John's life and ministry as a herald of Jesus Christ? And this is the third point regarding John the Baptist. John's aim in witnessing, it says, was that all might believe through his witness. That all might believe. John wants people to believe in Jesus so that they will have life. Isn't that wild? And verse 7 says, He came as a witness to bear witness about the light that all might believe through Him. That is, believe through John's witness. John testified of Christ to people who were living in darkness. And that is, they were spiritually dead. John testifies to them about the light, about Jesus, so, so that through John, they might believe Jesus. John was the agent that God used, but Jesus was to be the object. And this is what witnessing to the, to the lost is all about. It truly is. You want to know Evangelism 101, it's right here. We, similarly to John, have been sent by God. John... I mean, Jesus said in Matthew, he said, hey, go into all the world, make disciples, teaching them to obey all the command of you, baptizing them in the name of the Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit, and I'm with you always, right? We similar to John, we've been sent by God into a spiritually dark and dead world of which we were born out of. To testify, we were sent to testify about Jesus Christ, to testify about the light, not to get them to come to church but to become part of the church through a person. That's totally different. Not to get them to come to Christian community, not to get them to uh, engage in Christian-like things 
or to do all the Christianese type stuff, but to be radically transformed by the light from the inside out. And then all those things just are a natural byproduct of being born again. Religion gets you to do all the other stuff on the outside. But God's light, when it shines in your heart and you are illuminated from the inside out, all that other stuff starts to grow within you because that's God's heart, to be with his people, to worship him, to praise him, to give, to serve, to evangelize the lost. Yeah. Yeah, amen. And so he came as a witness to bear witness about the light. He was sent by God to the spiritually dark to testify about the light. And that is what our mission is as, as evangelists, to testify about Jesus Christ. It's really simple. Not to give them our opinions about Jesus, but the facts. The facts of who Jesus is. You see, you don't want them to fight with you. They, you want them to fight with God. <laughs> right? I love Walter Martin. He, he, he believes, you know, he was an apologist, but he, he just talked about the word being a sword. The word talks about the word being a sword. He says, you simply take the sword and put it in front of them and let them fall on it. <laughs> you know, you just give them the word and let it cut their hearts, and that's what, what the word does to us. And really, we're not giving them our opinions, we're giving them f- the facts, the facts, the truth of who Jesus is. And by the way, our lives are the evidence. Our lives are the evidence. The, the fact that his life has changed my life, he's given me his life. Those things match up, right? And so as we testify of the light, there will be those who will believe upon Jesus through our witness. And by the way, the word witness in Greek, do you guys know what it is? No, but I do. <laughs> and I'm not telling you. No, I'm just kidding. <laughs> it's the word martyr, martia. Isn't that interesting? John would lose his life for the testimony, as did Stephen, as did Jesus, as did almost all the apostles except for John writing this. Their witness cost them their lives, and because they witnessed to death the word, you know, the word martyr actually became synonymous with losing your life for testifying about Jesus. Isn't that wild? We're, go, we're to be empowered by the Holy Spirit to be witnesses. Where did Jesus end up? The cross. Where did the disciples end up? The cross. I'm not saying that many of us will end up on the cross, but let's reckon it so. Not that we're, you know, we, use, we treat our lives frivolously, but that we're, we're willing to openly accept the shame that was cast upon Jesus as he is the light and a dark world rejected him, so may he reject us, not because we are argumentative and mean-spirited, but because we're light in a dark world. And when Jesus says in John, I think, 13, he says, don't be upset. If they hate you, it's because they hated me first. 
you've got my light in you. That's what they're rejecting. And so their witness cost them their lives for Jesus. And so John was sent by God as a ve- in a very special way. John was a witness of the light coming into the world that people might believe through John's witness. And verse 8 says, He was not the light, but came to bear witness about the light. One of the tendencies of those who witnessed John's ministry was to mistake him for the true light. I mean, the guy was dynamic. He was powerful. The Holy Spirit was working powerfully through him. Repentance was coming. And it was in such a powerful way that the nation looked at him and said, Who is this? And they're trying to match up what was going on with this guy with what their scripture said. That's how radical this this man was. And they mistaked, they, they started to mistake John for the true light, the Messiah. Many were asking questions, we'll get into that later, but God was used mightily by John. He was a true, he was truly a voice crying in the wilderness. John was a light, but he was not the light. He was not the light. Now, John the Baptist, interesting enough, was called a light by Jesus. And so we've got to get a little technical here. In, in, if you flip over to chapter 5, verse 35, where Jesus says of John, he was a burning and shining lamp, and you, will, you, willingly re, uh, you were willing to rejoice for a while in his light. And so Jesus calls John a light. Jesus calls John the Baptist a light. Jesus, the light of the world, calls John the Baptist a light. But the word that Jesus uses for John's light is lachnos, which refers to a portable lamp. He's a flashlight. I mean, it might be one of those like 700 lumen things. I have no idea, but he was a light, right? But the light that John was testifying of is the word phos, which is the essence of light. The essence of light. John is a portable light. Jesus is the essence of light. Jesus is the light of the world, and in him is life. John is a reflection. It's kind of like the sun and the moon. You know what I mean? John the Apostle in verse 8 clearly says, if you read verse 8, that John the Baptist was not the light. And if you flip down to verse 20, John the Baptist says of himself that he is not the light. And I think the tendency is the same for us. How many of you guys have been impacted by someone pretty significantly in Christ? And we just go, wow, man, look at that light. Man, that is so amazing. Remember that they're a flashlight. And they're just hopefully reflecting the true light. And that is the difference between a false teacher, a false minister, really, and between a servant of the Lord is that when the glory comes our way, as we're being used by God, what do we do? We give glory to God. (laughs) We don't take the glory ourselves. We don't say yes, even though our hearts struggle with that, amen? But truly, we don't let people think that we're the source. We are not the source. We are the agent. He is the object. He is the essence of all life and all goodness. And we've been touched by his grace. And so John was not the light, but came to bear witness about the light. And now John the apostle shifts to begin speaking of the light. 
and man's reaction to that light. Uh, verse 9, the true light which gives light to everyone was coming into the world. A couple things to note about the light if you're taking notes. First, John calls the light the true light. The true light. The Greek word here for true refers to what is real or genuine. Thayer's Greek lexicon describes it as that which has not only the name and semblance, but the real nature corresponding to the name. It is the real deal. I like what John MacArthur says here. He says, God's people had seen reflections of the light of His glory, but in Jesus, the full radiance of His glory was revealed. Jesus is the full radiance of the light. They had seen images and reflections through different prophets and different things and even through creation, but the true encompassed radiance of God is full light. The full glory of God is in Jesus Christ. Remember Philip uh, later, actually, in John 14, he says to Jesus, Lord, show us the Father. And it's enough for us. Show us the Father and it's, not, it's enough for us, right? And Jesus said to him, have I been with you so long and you still do not know me, Philip? Whoever has seen me has seen the Father. The fullness of God in human form, in Jesus Christ. And Jesus is the true light. He is God in his very essence. In him is life. Think about that. You don't have life within yourself. It was given to you. Isn't that wild? Imagine having life didn't come, but you are the essence of life. That is who God is. Jesus is the true light. He is, in his very essence, life. He is life. Secondly, concerning the light, the light, gi- the light gives light to everyone. This is kind of difficult. Um, this is not saying that everyone, that he shines on everyone and everyone receives his light. He's just saying he shines on everyone. Everyone is not born again, but he does shine his light on everyone. And so my, most likely this is referring to the fact that God had already revealed himself to every soul through creation. This is Romans chapter 1. This is called general revelation. This just means that you look at the universe and you see how it's ordered and it testifies that there is a creator. And that light shines on everyone. Everybody knows that. In Romans 1, 19-20, Paul's, there's a big context here, but I'm just reading the verses. For what can be known about God is plain to them, to idol worshipers, because God has shown it to them. How? Verse 20, for his invisible attributes, namely his eternal power, his divine nature, have been clearly perceived ever since the creation of the world, the things that have been made in the things that have been made. And so they are without excuse. In other words, when you look at the sun and see the sun and the universe and the order to things and the complexity of life and birth and the cycles and all these things, it all screams order. It screams creation. It screams that there's something larger than us, all the forces we know of and all these types of things. There's something controlling all of this, something that put this into motion. Our foolish hearts are darkened when we deny that there's a creator. And when that happens, Paul goes on, this is a subtopic, we get debased in our mind and our decision-making gets stupid even to where we end up doing things with our bodies we should not because it's out of order because we don't have the right order going on. And that's where our nation is right now. And so he says they're without excuse. And so when John says that the light gives light to everyone, this, this probably means uh, the light of the world in its fullest re- revelation of God um, is in Jesus Christ. And God already has 
shined his light upon humanity through creation, but it's embodied in Jesus Christ. He is the fullness of the light. Maybe, maybe not. But regardless, the light shines on every man. Thirdly, John says the light was not recognized. Now here's the sad part. Verse 10. He was in the world, and the world was made through him, and yet the world did not know him. Have you guys ever seen that undercover boss thing? You know, the, you got the boss who's always in the ivory tower, working with all the board and all that stuff, and then he goes down, goes in the mailroom for a day, and no one knows who he is. And they do not recognize that he's the creator of all this. And, you know, they tell him what to do, and, oh, you've got a bad work ethic. And they, it's just a very funny little deal. It's like, you don't know who you're messing with. You're messing with a lot of power there. Like, they have your life you know, your life, the thing, the trajectory you think you're on, it's all in, their, all in their hands, so to speak. And obviously, that's in a limited way, but that's kind of what it's like. He was in the world, and the world was made through him, yet the world did not even know him. There are some, I mean, these are some of the most heartbreaking verses. The light came into the world, its own creation, and did not even know him. This is how darkened humanity's hearts are. We try to think that we are so enlightened, so just spiritual, and that we can see all these types of things, and we really puff ourselves up, but the, the true situation in our own heart is we're dark. We're actually dead is the word, and that's what the idiom for darkness is. There's light, which is life, and there's darkness, which is death. And God comes into our world and says, guys are dead, spiritually dead. You can't even see life. You think you have it. You have no idea what it is. I'm the source of life. It comes from me. You have bios. You're walking around in your biology thinking that you have spiritual life, but you're actually dead. That's a, that's a horrible place to be. How many of you have been some, so totally wrong on something? You never saw it until it was way too late. Anybody else? Yeah, it's like that, but worse. And so, he was in the world. The world was made through him, and yet it did not know him. Paul speaks of this in 2 Corinthians 4.4, 4, where he says, The God of this world has blinded the minds of unbelievers to keep them from seeing the light of the gospel of the glory of Christ, who is the image of God. The God of this world that is Satan, little g, not a deity, a supernatural created being. It's just an idiom for that. And his work is to keep us in the dark. His, his work is to keep us blinded. You see, we've got an enemy within, our own fallen nature that is dead. We've got an enemy without, a spiritual enemy who wants to keep it that way. And we've got a world that's fallen around us that makes us think that this is life. We are truly the walking dead, apart from Christ. Ephesians 2, 1 through 3 says the same way, a little bit different about our spiritual deadness, our darkness. As for you, you were dead in your transgressions and sins, in which you used to live. You can be dead and living in sins, in which you used to live, when you what? Followed the ways of the world and the ruler of the kingdom of the air, the spirit who is now at work of those who are disobedient. This is Satan and his whole empire of demonic beings. And all of us 
also have lived among them at one time, speaking Christians who were born again. We lived among them at one time. How? Gratifying the cravings of our flesh and following its desires and thoughts. And like the rest, we were by nature children of wrath. Don't worry, I'll come back to that verse, the rest of it, because it's awesome. But the world is under the sway of Satan and our own evil desires. You know that. We are in spiritual darkness. We are spiritually dead people by nature, suppressed by a superior spiritual being, Satan, and we need life that comes from the outside. Mankind was so lost, so blind, so gone, that when Christ came, the creator of the universe, they did not even recognize him. That's how hardened their hearts were. And so the world does not recognize the light. That's the first thing. Well, that's another thing about the light. The world does not recognize the light. If that isn't bad enough, fourthly, the light was rejected. It wasn't recognized, but it was also flat out rejected. Verse 11, he came to his own. His own people did not even receive him. He came to his own, and his own people did not receive him. The light came to his own. John is speaking of the Jews. The whole Testament is the story of a nation that's going to give forth the Messiah. It came from the promise of Abraham. Remember Abraham? Through you, through your child Isaac, through you and Sarah, you're going to have a child of promise. Through him, all the nations will be blessed. There's going to be a Savior that comes through his lineage, through the Jews. Jesus came to his own people. He didn't come to America. He didn't come to Europe. He came to the Jews. It would have been weird if he came to America. But the light came to his own people. And John, living after the nation of Israel had rejected, John the apostle, living after the nation of Israel had rejected their Messiah, he came to his own. He says, he came to his own and they did not receive him. I watched them reject. I watched them reject their Messiah. It's one thing for idol-worshiping pagans and those who are totally lost to not know him, but it's another thing for those people who have the book, who know the stories, who understand concerning the Messiah to absolutely reject him. The world didn't know him, but the people of God rejected him that's a scary thing they did not receive him jesus in matthew 23 through 39 he laments over this he's about to be crucified he's looking over jerusalem and here's the thing verse 37 he says oh jerusalem jerusalem the city that kills the prophets and stones those who are sent to it how often would I have gathered your children together as a hen gathers a brood under her wings, and you were not willing. He came to his own people. He longed to gather them to himself, to give them life, to protect them, and all those things. And what happens? They rejected him. The world did not know the light, and his own did not receive him. But here's the hope, verse 12, we end on hope. But to those who did receive him, who believed in his name, he gave the right to become children of God. And so fifthly, the light is received. The light is, yes, it is not known and it is also rejected, but it is received. There are those who receive the light. Who receives him? Who are they and how did they receive him? How do you receive the light? 
John says that they are those who believe in his name. They believe in his name. Let me ask you, have you believed in his name? Have you received the light? The light has a name, and his name is Jesus. And so to receive Jesus is to believe in his name. Now, what does that mean? The name Jesus means God saves. That's what his name means. God saves. He sends a messenger named God is gracious, and he sends a son named God saves. It's a pretty awesome God. (laughs) In Acts 4.11, Peter says to the rulers and elders after healing a guy miraculously, he says, let it be known to all of you and to the people of Israel that by the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth, whom you crucified, whom God raised from the dead, by him this man is standing before you well or whole. Verse 11, this Jesus is the stone which was rejected by you, Israel, that was rejected by you, the builders which has become the cornerstone. In verse 12, and there is salvation in no one else, for there is no other name under heaven given among men by which we must be saved. There is no other name. The name of Jesus, believing in Jesus Christ, will save a human being from the darkness, from the wrath of God against our darkness. To believe in his name is to believe that Jesus died for your sins in your place, that he paid the price for your rebellion against God, and that he rose again. That he not only took away your penalty through his death, but that he overcame death by his life. He rose again. That's what it means to believe in Jesus, that God saves. He took away your sin and he gives you life. Do you believe it? And when that happens, the fifth aspect of, light, of the light happens. The light gives us his life. Verse 13. Who were born not of blood. We became right, I'm sorry, we, we, we came, he gives us the right to become children of God. And verse 13, what does that mean? Who were born not of blood, nor of the will of flesh, nor of the will of man, but of God. You're born of God. This is not a human earthly birth. This has nothing to do with us. This verse shows us that we cannot save ourselves. Listen to this. Who were born not of blood, nor of the will of flesh, nor of the will of man. You've all been born of blood, born of the flesh, and born of the will of man. That is humanity. We're talking about a different birth. And this is why we're going to get into John chapter 3. To be born again, this is what he's talking about, right? This verse shows us that we can't save ourselves. Eternal life does not come within us. How many of you have been told you just need to seek deep within yourself and find the inner you? When you find that inner you, you're going to find out you are dead. You've got no life and you can't do anything. That's the message of the gospel. And that's why people hate the light because it tells them they're dark. Right? Because I want to be special. I've got a superpower within me and all these things. No, I'm totally nothing. Life 
must be granted to us. It must be given to us from the outside. And God freely grants and he freely gives because he's a gracious God and he desires to save us. How merciful and loving is, but you must receive. See how that works? You must receive. We can't make ourselves children of God. You can't do it. We can't make ourselves be born again. You can't do it. Mankind doesn't have light within himself. It comes from the outside. It comes from Christ. His light came into the world and he shines it on all men and the gospel's gone forward. Will you receive it? It's this tricky thing because salvation is a total work of grace, a total work from the outside and yet he says you must believe. (laughs) That's your part, I guess. And even that, (laughs) how in the world can we believe if we're not illuminated? Pretty wild. Eternal life comes from God. And so John says that being a child of God is being born again. Not of blood, not of the will of flesh, not of the will of man. Being saved, being born again, is by the will of God. It is a spiritual birth from ab- above. It is, of human, it is not of human origin. It is divine origin. Real quickly, I told you I was going to finish Ephesians 2. Let me go back there again. Ephesians 2 for a second to illustrate the other way. Verses 1 through 5 again. And you were dead in your trespasses and sin, in which you used to want, you once walked, following the course of this world, following the prince of the power of the air, and the spirit that is now at the work and the sons of disobedience, among whom we all once lived in the passions of our flesh, carrying out the desires of the body and the mind, and we were all by nature children of ga- uh, wrath, like the rest of mankind, we're all dead. Wow, oh, man, we're all dead, okay, bummer. Verse four, but God being rich in mercy because of the great love with which he loved us, even when we were dead in our trespasses, he made us alive together with Christ. By grace, you have been saved. God comes to dead men, dead women, dead kids, and he illuminates them from the inside out. He comes to them and wakes them up. God the Word from eternity came into humanity's spiritually dead world to give us life. Most do not know Him. His own did not receive Him, but to those who do, who believe in the name of Jesus, He gives them the right to be children of God. It is a work of grace. And here's the thing. As I think about John the Baptist being sent to a a witness, you know, to be a witness of Jesus so that the world might believe, I think about you. You, as Christians, are his witnesses now. That role has been delegated now to you. You're it. You're his plan. And I'm excited about that. Because I know that you are not the source. You're the agent. (laughs) You're not 
you don't have the essence of light that, you know, we're testifying of the life. And God chooses to use broken vessels, things which are not to confound the wise. And I look out and I, and, and, and I look at my brothers and sisters and go, ah, oh, the wisdom of God. How awesome that he would choose us and fill us with his life and then go send us out into the same mess he saved us out of to say, look, there's life, there's light. It's Jesus Christ. He saves people. I was lost and I was blind. I was dead, but now I see. All because of his grace. I think of you being sent into the world this week to be a witness to be a martyr of the light, <laughs> losing your life, denying yourself that others might live. What a tremendous honor God has given each of us to be his witnesses, to testify to the dark and blind person of whom we all can totally relate that the true light has come into the world. He came into us. That Jesus died to save us from the judgment of God. He rose again so that we would share in his victory over death and share in his eternal life, that we would be John 17 with him, that as they were from all eternity past, that we would be with him for all eternity future. What a gracious gift. Maybe we, I just pray that we would be the agents. Are you willing to be an agent this week of God? Are you willing to be used of God? Are you willing to tell someone about Jesus this week? Are you willing to open your mouth into the darkness? Are you willing to use your actions in the darkness? Are you willing to do all those things? Are you willing to lose your life? Are you willing to lay down your life that others might live? This is how God works. It doesn't come any other way. It comes through the cross of self-denial, of loving him more than we love ourselves, of loving others and thinking about them more than we love ourselves. Are you willing this week to do that? I would, I would encourage you just right now to say, God, I am willing, but I have no clue. How many of you are like, that's me? You are an agent. You are not the source. He will give you what you need to do what you need to do as you do it. Step out in faith. Stumble for Jesus. Open your mouth. Make a mess. Learn that you have, and through those messes, God's going to teach you how to do what he calls you to do. Just the same thing with our kids. Do you want to sit on the floor for the rest of your life? Or do you want to get up and walk? Amen? I want you to get up and walk. Go do it. Amen? Me too. Like there's things God's calling me to. I'm like, eh, but I'm going to be... Someone else. No, you. And this is Jesus comes back and he says, now you are the light of the world. You're not the light. You are you're the flashlights of the world, man, pointing to him. Who in your mind right now needs the Lord? Are you going to go do it? 
you're going to step out and get past the embarrassment and, and, and embrace the cross and the shame, or are you just going to stay in that selfish cycle? And I'm not giving you a guilt trip. I'm giving you a truth trip. Right? It should be a conviction trip. We're all evangelists. Now, we might not have the gift of evangelism, meaning it just naturally <coughs> flows from our being. You know, blah, blah, blah. But we all have been touched by the Creator, and, and you have His light, His truth to share, the simple gospel. Jesus died for you in your darkness, and He rose again. Now, see, I think the thing is, is we don't want to tell people they're in darkness. You don't need to tell them they're in darkness. You show them they're in darkness. This is what the Lord says. Open Ephesians 2. Man, this is what the dead life is. This is what God wants to do. And the Holy Spirit will convict people. So I just, I'm encouraged. I really am. How many of you have been the Lord for a long time? How many of you have struggled in this area? Yeah, totally. Today's the day. Today's the day. Pray, obey. Amen? And by the way, he's the light. <laughs> Keep pointing it to him. And by the way, I'm pretty open with a lot of the, you know, the struggles and stuff. I don't need to pretend like I'm perfect. Gosh, that's, some, that's a weight you can't handle, right? Amen? But we make no mistake on who he is. So may the Lord empower you this week. He's given you such a gracious gift. And I just, just looking out, looking at your faces and knowing a lot about you, um, from what I know, I just, and you're ripe. You're ready. You don't want to get stagnant in your faith. You don't want to stay in the same spot. You want to step out in ventures that require God to meet you on the sea that he needs to part. Amen? And he's just waiting for you to obey and step out and do it. And then just watch him work. And then next week we'll see what happens. Let's pray. Lord God, we want to thank you that you sent the light. And we ask, Lord, that now that we've received the light, Lord, that we would give the light <laughs> away. And this light is specific. It is not an impersonal thing. It is not a club. It's not a building. It is a person, the person of Jesus Christ who desires that all men would come to repent. They would turn from their sin. They would see the darkness in their life. They would call out to God and ask for forgiveness and believe that Jesus died in their place and that he rose again to give them his life. Lord, help us to be able to be living the gospel and preaching the gospel as witnesses, as humble witnesses. Lord, empower your church this week. I want to thank you. In the name of Jesus, amen.